Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We're back. We're live on recorded digital. It used to be taped back in the day, but now it's just digital stuff. I don't know what we record digital stuff on. We're on a digital computer screen for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Dave Brooks. I'm Joel Hoover. Yeah, welcome back, everyone. Good to have you back aboard for another episode as we go back and go forward a little bit today with That's this true. episode. Yeah, we're sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport outside of Bemidji. Dave, some big news coming from the Bemidji Theater related to something we discussed a few episodes ago related to the theater. Yeah, if you are local and you've been going to see shows at the Bemidji Theater, you know the last, probably since about January or so, some of the theaters not open. They've got you know about 10 screens and only five of them have been going. They've ripped apart half of the auditoriums. And you're about to see what they've been working on because this coming Friday, just in time for John Wick Chapter 4, they're going to open up the ones that have been ripped apart, those new Dreamliner, I think they call them, seats. They're just posh. Oh, they are gorgeous. This Outstanding. Is gonna... th- it's theater seating, people. Oh, yeah. This uh, isn't even theater seating. This is like, I don't Luxury know, theater yeah, seating. Yeah, I don't know if they're massage chairs or what, but I mean, they're, woo, these are nice. So they're going to open those up, and then the theater seats that have been going... They're going to shut those theaters down. So they're going to be back down to five. They're going to rip those apart and do the same thing there. By the time we get to about Memorial Weekend, they should be done with all of this. And so when the summer movies come, we should be good to go. But another thing to think about, these seats are huge. They take up a lot more space. And not only just the width, I mean, the, 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 the what do you want to call it? The platform that you would stand on. It's not like you stand up and you're right on the edge. So there's a lot less seats in the theater. If it used to be a 200 capacity, it might be closer to 100. So you need to be aware of getting your tickets in advance for one. Some of these seats you need to reserve for two. Showing up 10 minutes before showtime, especially on some of those nights, there's uh, discount nights, there's opening nights. That might be one you need to plan a few steps in advance. Which is a really good disclaimer to add in that, yeah, you might need to think about that a little bit as far as getting your seats in advance, getting a spot in advance for going to the theater, which you can do online, you can do by phoning in, uh, all of that. Keep that in mind moving forward. And the Bemidji Theater points that out on Facebook. If you check oh, yeah. out, if you follow the Bemidji Theater, CEC Theater on on Facebook, you can find out more about that. You can also see some photos as well. They they just posted this earlier today with some photos of how oh, it's looking in there. I didn't need no photos. I got a tour. It was nice. Posh. And how about how about the screen as well? New screen, a lot of new. You wouldn't be you'd be amazed. I mean, even the floor itself. I mean, you had the rows; they were close enough together. They basically took out every other row and they extended the cement and the packing and everything that's under there. And the way they do that, they they were not fooling around here. This is not a paint job. This is serious. There's a reason you haven't got to go. Oh, yeah. So now the new ones are going to open up. They'll tear apart the ones that have been going and get them up to standard. So so by the time summer of 2023 comes, every seat is going to be 
the Buttmaster 5000. You're going to love it. I don't know if it was Missy or somebody else who posted this on Facebook, too, but they responded to somebody who commented regarding the the up, the upgrades and how great it was, and wow, this this is... It's about time. And that what what was said was that this is actually three years in the making, but yep. thanks to COVID, yeah. this got moved back a little bit further than it was supposed to. So really, really cool. And there was a big thanks given to CEC as well, which is the owning company of the Bemidji Theater, for following through on, on getting this upgrade done. It is going to be spectacular. Seeing it and getting to sit in it with a movie on the new screen are two different things, and I have not got to do the second part yet. So I can't wait to go and see something, and uh, it may very well be this weekend. Yeah. We'll see. Well, with John Wick Chapter 4 coming out, which is getting excellent reviews. Some saying it's the best in the series, some, uh-huh. but excellent reviews. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not getting into too much, but the overarching idea is that this one sounds like it's going to be a great addition. I probably won't see that one first. Is I still haven't seen Creed 3, still haven't seen Scream 6, uh, and a couple others that I've are still I've seen planned. Creed 3. Yeah. I heard it's good. I heard Scream 6 is really good. I, I hear good things about John. They're all on my candy tree. I just can only grab so many at a time. Right. So we'll get there. You know, one other thing we should quick touch base on, uh, just real quick, not in-depth, uh, just had the Academy Awards not long ago. That's right. It wasn't a sweep, but I mean, it was a statement. Oh, man. Everything, everywhere, all at once just went gaga. Lived up to its name in some ways with bringing home seven Academy Awards in total. And on the technical side, on the acting side, on the acting side, three of the awards going to everything, everywhere, all at once. Incredibly impressive, the job that that, that movie did. And one that had come out... I think it was late spring of last year when it was released and got a lot of buzz and a lot of attention and a lot of appreciation. From what I have heard from people who I've talked to about the movie, because I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, it is, it. It, is very, it is very much an acquired taste is what I've heard. It's it's very fast. It's There's a lot going on. It's kind of an organized yeah. chaos. It's it's a good movie. I don't know if I'd say an acquired taste because that implies you need to see it more than once. And it wouldn't help or wouldn't hurt, rather. Where there's some movies where there's so much going on, you're going to miss 20% easy of everything going on. You kind of need to see it again. So, yeah, that I would say. But it's a very good movie. Another really interesting thing about it, there's one movie that came out years and years and years ago that not because of what the movie is, but because of what it was nominated for, and it swept all of those, was the big categories, uh, was Silence of the Lambs. It was Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor. I mean, it was the big ones. This movie, with the exception of Brendan Fraser, who won for The Whale, it won all the big ones. And so it's technically a notch below Silence of the Lambs because it didn't win Best Actor because there wasn't a nomination for Best Actor. But it won Best Picture, Director, Actress, and then the other two supporting actor and actress categories. And that is almost unheard of. Had it had a Best Picture or a Best Actor, it would have blown away Silence of the Lambs. It's one of the more uh, decorated movies, not just of this year, but ever. So that's really saying something. This stuff doesn't, you don't just trip and fall into this. We keep poking fun at uh, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen because it was one of the top 10 grossing movies of that year. Well, people didn't know it was bad until they already seen it and their money was already at the door. Right. This is another thing. You don't get into this kind of category accidentally. People just paid their money and then they found out it was bad. No, it was really that good. Very, very impressive all around with with the job that it was able to do and the awards that it brought home. The Oscars on the whole, 
had a lot of attention too. It was one of the higher rated Oscars in recent years. Really since COVID, I think this was the best one as far as viewership. Probably attached to what happened last year. That was some USC spillover. People wanted to see if there was going to be a round two. (laughs) There was not. No. There was not. No. There were plenty of jokes related to it, but no. So... Overall, a really spectacular night for everything, everywhere, all at once uh, with the awards that it was able to clean up. So, so. Here, here's where we'll start the segue. But before I start there's, the segue. Well, there's a great a, a great bridge between yes, there is. the wins there and the topic that we have for today. Before I do the segue, though, we are going to give you the spoiler alert warning because our topic today we're going to get into in just a second. There will be spoilers forthcoming. By this point, any of these movies or whatever that have been here, you've had plenty of time to see them. And one, you haven't yet. And so we can't spoil it because we don't even know what's going to happen yet. But that being said, if you haven't seen the Indiana Jones movies, then you definitely might want to hold off on coming back to this episode later because we're going to spoil some things. But uh, Kiwi Khan, who was short round in Temple of Doom, won Best Supporting Actor just the other night for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And the fact there's a there's a picture of he and Harrison Ford, Indiana oh, Jones man. himself. Was that the Golden Globes? Some, some award ceremony. I think it was the Golden Globes. And Harrison Ford saw him, are you short round? Indy! And there's a hug, and there's a great picture of the hug. That's really oh, cool. Just a great photo. And I love, too, Kihuay Kwan was also in The Goonies. Yeah. And apparently, Goonies cast members from all over the place were messaging him the other night after his Best Supporting Actor win with congratulations. He gave and all a shout-out to Chunk when he took the trophy award ceremony, so there was a shout-out on stage. That's cool. Jeff Cohen, he was Chunk. He got a shout-out on the stage. Just great. Yeah. yeah. So, And it's a perfect segue into talking about Indiana Jones today, which which is our topic. And we're going to talk about it all because there is a movie that is coming out this summer, that, and that that is certainly part of the story with Dial of Destiny coming out on June 30th and the continuation of this series. That's a big part of this topic. But, Dave, I want to start with with something that has been on my mind pretty much ever since – this was going to be the topic for the episode when you brought this idea up. And it's the idea that Indiana Jones is something that we need more of in movies today. Yeah, And what I mean by that is an original idea and an adventure idea. Inspired idea. Very inspired. That That is creative and fresh and exciting to watch on the big screen. And that you had this whole combination that made Indiana Jones as successful as it was beginning back in 1981 with Raiders of the Lost Ark and has carried on with this franchise. We need more of those ideas in movies today. More ideas like Indiana Jones. It's pure escapism. And granted, it's not original per se because it's, you know, it's the, this will be the fifth sequel now. Or the fifth movie, fourth sequel. But it started as original. Yeah, yeah. But very inspired by other stuff, too. And we'll get to that part as well. But, you know, every other movie now is a superhero movie. And maybe now is some of them not quite delivering with Ant-Man. Not bad movie, but not a great movie. The Shazam spectacle that's going on right now. Maybe we're starting to really see the bubble burst a little bit here. And even stuff that's coming up on some of the streaming services, they're not quite living up to it. Maybe we've gone... I'm not going to say as far as it's going to go. Absolutely not. But you got the reshuffling going on with the DC Universe. We'll see what happens with The Flash. I just saw the trailer for that not long ago, and it does look good. 
It's just a fanboy's. <gasps> I mean, it's just awesome. It just really does look good. Will it deliver? We'll see. That's a whole other story. But maybe it's time for a fresh breath of something that is, as far as I could tell, is going to do right by the franchise, do right by the character. Um, I think it's definitely looking better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Will it rank somewhere within the top three of the originals? I, it's a good question. We're going to find out around 4th of July weekend, but we'll get, we'll get there. But we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about Indiana Jones overall. So let's go back to the beginning with Indiana Jones because this came, this all began in the 1970s and it began with George Lucas and some ideas that he came up with because he wrote The Adventures of Indiana Smith and that was where this this sort of started from and this idea. And then came a chance meeting in Maui between George Lucas. No, not a chance meeting. Oh, okay, n- not a chance meeting. Well, a meeting that, that had ideas being thrown around with well, it between George Lucas, who was just coming off the success of Star Wars, and Steven Spielberg, who was coming off of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Jaws prior to that. Interesting thing, though, you, you got to realize just the name Indiana itself is interesting because George Lucas had a Malmute. I'm, I'm mispronouncing it. Mal- Malmute? Is that how you say it? Dog. That was really fuzzy. That Just the look of him was the inspiration of Chewbacca. And the dog's name was Indiana. So Chewbacca and Indiana Jones, the name Indiana, both are coming from the same inspiration, which was riding shotgun in the car that George Lucas liked to drive fast a la Millennium Falcon. So just that alone is kind of interesting. But if you go watch, so George Lucas and Harrison Ford, or uh, uh, Steven Spielberg have been buddies for a long, long time to the point they vacationed together. I mean, it's almost like a bromance, big, big time before they were ever married. And they would go on Hawaiian vacations and they would make bets as to whose movie would do better or worse than the other one. And so they're sitting on a beach, late 70s, early 80s, and Spielberg actually wanted to direct a James Bond movie. Right. And he was saying, you know, I'm interested in, I I think there's this new one that's coming up that I think would eventually become uh, For Your Eyes Only, I think was the one that he was was circled around maybe directing it. And George Lucas said, no, no, I got something better. And this is where he shared what he'd been writing for the last few years following Star Wars, The Adventures of Indiana Smith. And obviously some changes would be coming and they'd get involved. And it was interesting the way that it all came together because immediately Spielberg saw exactly what what George Lucas was talking about. Yes, Spielberg apparently called it, quote, a James Bond film without the hardware Yeah, was how he described it. And I think that adventure aspect, the locations, all of that, there's there's a certain element of truth to that. And yet it's different in that... There's the timepiece element of this that was thrown in there as well with putting him in a time in, in the past, in this case in the 1930s. Well, a lot of the movies they took inspiration from were not just the serials. And for those of you that are young enough, even I'm too young, but I've been to one of those theaters, that are those grand marquee theaters, and they'll have an old-fashioned movie day. And the, going to the movies wasn't just to go see the show. It was to see a show. And it was numerous shows, whether it was a giant pipe organ that would play in between the features, the cartoons, the newsreels back in the day, and then, of course, the main feature. It was just a whole different thing. And one of the elements of going to the 
shows back in the day were what were called the serials. This right. is where Flash Gordon really came into play. Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. So you'd have maybe like a 15-minute episode of a much larger saga, and it always ended on a cliffhanger, like the pulp novels did. And so you get the hero, like an Indiana Jones-type kind of guy. He's in the truck, and the truck's about to go off the cliff, and oh, and then they cut to the black, and you have to come back next week to see if he makes it out of the truck in time. And that was just part of it. You Actually, know? Dick Tracy was more comics, but just yeah. that idea that that you had those well, serials, was, those those characters, you usually had a centerpiece character yeah. in there that's part of a larger story. I mean, comic books really played off of that same idea, and then there were cartoons that existed like oh, that yeah. for Superman and such that, that went on in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. So the serial idea was part of it, and then other bigger features like the Treasure of the Sierra Madre and the Maltese Falcon and a lot of these things, they all kind of were ingredients thrown into the malt Philip ship. Marlo. Philip Marlowe. Yeah. And even uh, 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 Casablanca a little bit, you know, with, with yeah. the Rick character. All of those were the chocolate and the ice cream and the bananas all thrown into the mixer and blended up and to make a nice, pulpy, wonderful treat that would become Indiana Jones. Uh, and you got to also, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's kind of where the genesis of it came. Uh, George Lucas had a lot of it down. Uh, Spielberg had a lot to throw into it, too. And then eventually, uh, Harrison Ford, who would eventually play the character, had a lot to add. And they were kind of the three corners here. But at first, it was just the two. And the question was, who was going to be their third and who was going to be the guy? And that also is its own interesting discussion where you didn't want... George Lucas did not want Harrison Ford involved in this. He didn't want to have, he called it, and for all those Martin Scorsese movies, De Niro was in all of them. He didn't want a De Niro to his version. So I don't want Harrison Ford joining me on Indiana Jones. He's my Han Solo. We're getting, at this point, they were working on uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi was coming. And he was so attached, he was so attached into that character as well that you run the risk then of, okay, what do you do when you take a guy who is playing a role that is suddenly becoming iconic in a film series that is becoming iconic. And not only, like you said, are, are you attaching director and and performer in George Lucas and Harrison Ford in that way, but you're also then having to try to take a guy out of a role that, that he's already super well known for and say, you're now also going to be known for this role. Well, yeah, and you got to think about the timing now. They were wor- they were working on and filming Empire Strikes Back when Raiders of the Lost Ark was in pre-production. So there was overlap here. So you, all, at the time, initially, originally, Harrison Ford was not going to be involved in that. He's going to be doing Star Wars. He'll be too busy to be doing this. We can start filming it, or at least George Lucas would, because Spielberg officially has no involvement in Star Wars. But he has dipped his little tinty pinky toe in there occasionally. But uh, So they were going to go with another up-and-coming actor that wasn't very well-known at the time, Tom Selleck, which is fairly well-known. They had quite a list of people under consideration anyway, but yes, Selleck was the one who stood out, and apparently... Lucas's he, wife favored Tom oh yeah. Selleck as he well. Had, he had the job. He, I mean, it's not like he... There was other people as well. Uh, Matheson was on the list, and there were some others. I think Nick Nolte was on the list, too. Yes. But... Um, Bill Murray was even considered. I think they were considered, but I mean, how <laughs> far did it go? With Tom Selleck, it went about as far as it was going to go. He was cast as Indiana Jones. He had just done a pilot for a show that hadn't been picked up yet, Magnum P.I. Yep. If it got picked up, well, that might complicate things. But he had the job. There's screen tests that you can see even on DVDs and so forth. You can find it on YouTube where he's doing the read scenes with Karen Allen that would eventually get the role of Marion. And he had it down. So 
Obviously, the Magnum show got picked up. It ran for a long time, and it made Tom Selleck a star. You know what was disappointing, though? At least from that standpoint of Tom Selleck, you know, maybe for them, they looked at it as disappointing at the time until, of course, Harrison Ford worked out like he did. But the 1980 actor strike put Magnum P.I. Yeah. on hiatus for a three-month period where he could have, he could have done it. shot Indiana Jones. So perhaps they looked at it as, oh, what a bummer at the time, but it worked out in the end. And funny enough, just real quick before we move on from that, they did sort of do an Indiana Jones-esque episode of Magnum P.I. I can't remember what the specifics were. Magnum got hit on the head and had a dream or something where he was an Indiana Jones-esque character. That's maybe as close as we're ever going to get. Could Tom Selleck have done a good job? I think he absolutely could have done. But you got to talk about who ultimately comes in to do the role. Uh, the Scorsese-De Niro connection continues with George Lucas and Harrison Ford. Han Solo drops the blaster pistol and picks up the bullwhip. But a lot of these actors, and Harrison Ford as well, they've got their quirks like anybody would. Anybody has got their little quirks in the way they do things. I'm sure Tom Selleck or any other array of actors that can do physical roles and bring some good personality could have done something really good and really special with it. But Tom Selleck is kind of straightforward, and Harrison Ford, he's got some quirks about him. Whether he's doing a movie or he is sitting on the couch with Jimmy Kimmel and they're just kind of bantering back and forth, he's got this kind of thing that you can see those nuances in just about any role he plays, and they work to a strength. So some of those quirks have become the strengths of the Indiana Jones character in a lot of ways. Some of those are the expressions that just Harrison Ford makes. I don't know if if Selleck or anybody else would have made those same choices. You got it's hard to imagine now. Could anybody pull off the role better than Harrison Ford? And I'm going to jump to the front of the line and say no. A rugged guy who had a touch of, and yet more than that, he had a touch. He had a touch of the Han Solo cockiness, oh, yeah. and yet it was only a touch of it. In in Star Wars, it's it's on full display. In Indiana Jones, it's more of a a rugged type of cockiness or, or confidence. It's more of this this tiredness that you have a little bit. It's that not with, the years; it's the mileage. Yeah, I mean, you see that when when Indiana Jones goes back into his job as his day job as being a professor, you see a little bit of that there. But there's this restlessness. There's this there's this cynicism that's there that exists where he's like, I'm kind of over this. I want to be out exploring and finding things. There's this taste and thirst for adventure that's there. And yet it's also this world weariness that kind of it creeps in as well. Harrison Ford has got, in some cases, two speeds as an actor goes. And there are some roles that people celebrate, but I'm not wild about. Some of the Jack Ryan movies, he's a lot more kind of monotone. He's just like this. And then there's others like, say, Six Days, Seven Nights, where he is on. He is on. He's got both of those going as Indiana Jones, and some of that, like you were saying, works into the world weariness, where maybe it's between the adventure shots, and he just wants to take his shirt off and take a nap and not get smacked in the face by the mirror, you know? And that works to its advantage, because in the next scene, now he's got to swing into action, literally in some cases, and he's on as an actor, as a character. According to one oral history of Indiana Jones, the way Harrison Ford looked at it was that his character was going to be an academic first, 
and an adventurer second, and in that yeah. order with with the way that he was. And you see that sort of with the way that that he goes about it. That he would prefer just walk into a temple as gently as he can, take the thing, and leave. He doesn't want to fight the Nazis or have to swing over bottomless chasms or outrun boulders. He just wants the museum pieces, and he keeps saying that this belongs in a museum. And that's really what he wants as a curator, so to speak. Well, let's get into talking a little bit more about that with the concept of Indiana Jones. Because this isn't just your adventure serial that you have here. You have a mix of a lot of different parts of the adventure realm that that you have here. For one, the constant use of a MacGuffin. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, Yeah. there are MacGuffins everywhere. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's right there in the title. It's, It's the Ark itself. Then you have well, quick time out here. What for those of you listening in MacGuffin? What who? A MacGuffin was a coined phrase by Hitchcock, actually. And a MacGuffin, it doesn't really ultimately matter what the MacGuffin is. I've got a water bottle here in the studio that I'm drinking from. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, this is the MacGuffin. That is the focal point that drives the plot forward. Dave needs to drink. He need, that's that's what drives the plot forward. I need the water. I need the ark. I need the cup of everlasting life. That's what it. Well, what does it matter? What does it? What happens when you get but, it? Doesn't matter. Right. But it drives the plot forward. And ultimately, and, that object tends to not really matter all that much in the end. Like, yeah. look at the look at Raiders of the Lost Ark. That that plays out perfectly in that movie with this this constant straining to get to the ark. And yet there's this very sinister undertone throughout the movie of you all might be getting into and dealing with something that is a lot more than you fully realize. And, and Indiana Jones sort of scoffs at that early in the movie. It's like, come on, these are these are old tales here of, of like, yeah, the Bible has some really severe stuff to say about what dealing with the Ark has meant for some people in the past. But what's the worst that could happen here? Uh well, you you have an entire Nazi contingent that gets completely wiped out. That's what happens by the end of Melting it. Melting faces. And, and, and then, you, then you have, at the end of the movie, it getting just an incredibly famous and yet also, what? Kind of ending of... Satirical, the, the, almost. Uh, very satirical. Of the Ark getting boxed up and put away among these other private things in, in this... this warehouse never ending of the warehouse. u.s government yeah and you know the interesting thing also not only does the MacGuffin drive the plot forward like we were talking about but the big pink theory of the show made a funny reference about this that it didn't matter what indiana jones did at all if he had been involved or not been involved nothing would have changed and indiana jones involvement in the story has nothing to do with the ultimate ending of the plot it still would have been the nazis would have got their faces melted off and the government would have gotten a hold of the Ark and they would have put it away. Indiana Jones has absolutely nothing to do with what drives... I mean, it drives the story, but has nothing to do with the plot. Yeah, but we had a lot of fun getting there. <laughs> we, had, we had a lot of fun getting there. When the fans find that out, they're like, what? No. I mean, yeah. th- the same kind of thing happens in The Last Crusade, where it's it, it's the Fountain of Youth, it's the, um, it's the, the chalice that they are all... It, that they're going for there is there the holy grail is what they're trying to track down in the end and in, in the end the grail slips out of their grasp into one of the cracks yeah then but it wasn't it was never meant to leave anyway so you weren't going to get it nobody was meant to get it and even if you got it you had to stay for 700 years like the knight that was guarding it so to speak or you can't say really guarding it you're curating it for all these centuries so it wasn't going to go anywhere anyway yeah so you have you have this mix of adventure and and all that comes with adventure you have the the conflicts of the era in which 
these these movies take place of going up against these sinister forces. But there's also that there's the touch of the mystical or the spiritual that that comes in there as well. Where dealing with forces bigger than you, exactly. And that's the part where, with Indiana Jones being a professor like he is, and knowing about archaeology so well and history and all of those things, you have this collision between that and these factors and forces that you cannot wrangle with a bullwhip. Yeah, and so by the time you get to the next one. Star Wars, the original trilogy is done. They had just done Return of the Jedi. Well, now he's trading in the blaster for the bullwhip again, but now Indy is a thing. Uh, But George Lucas was going through some hard times. Steven Spielberg going through some hard times. Both of them losing their personal relationships with their wives. Both of them going through divorce at that time. And they've both said that is probably why Temple of Doom is as dark a movie as it is. Oh, man. And it is definitely a dark movie. It's a good movie, but it is a dark movie. It's technically a prequel because it takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it really doesn't matter. These movies are all bottle movies. While there might be plot threads that, or you know character threads that might linger from one to the next, you don't have to see Raiders to see Temple, to see Crusade, to see any of them. It doesn't really matter. Um, so it doesn't really matter whether this is a prequel or a sequel or not, but it is a dark one. It's about child slavery, and there are some scenes that are way over the top. Whether it's black magic, human sacrifice, eating oh, brains man. from monkeys, it's just it got a little crazy. And it was funny enough. Sidebar: the PG thirteen rating has a big part to its existence because not just this movie, but this might have been the last one to kick the pony in the rib, so to speak. Gremlins had a lot to do with it. That was a Spielberg uh, involvement. And it was Spielberg who suggested it to the Motion Picture Academy. Yeah, there was a lot of movies. Association of America. There yeah. was a lot of movies, like even Jaws. It's a PG movie, not even PG-13, and it should probably be a light R. But it, there was no in the middle. It was PG or R. That's it. And because of movies like uh, like this one, this one was a huge influence, we got to come up with something else. And so then Red Dawn, I think, is the first movie released that was released as a PG-13, and that's a big part of it. It's too much for PG, not enough for R, hence PG-13, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom specifically had a lot to do with it. Interesting which, footnote. Which was a prequel, by the way. It went back in time a little bit further to before what happened in Raiders of the Lost Ark. They wanted to go away with making the Nazis the bad guys again. But what you've done by this point is you've put Indiana Jones into a specific time period in history. And now you have to you have to deal with that. You have to you have to deal with what comes with that too of all right well, which direction do we go here? I mean, we're we're just releasing this a few years later. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to jump forward too much in time. So they decided to go back. Well, they wanted to. You had religious symbolism and uh, mysticism in the first one where you had the Ark of the Covenant. And that's it's based on, if you believe in faith, true stuff. And it's interesting when you look at any of these plot elements and design elements and setting elements, they're all based on things that are true or allegedly true or at one point were true and or faith tells you were true or however you want to work that. It's interesting to learn about the reality versus what was on screen, because they're not all the same thing. The Well of Souls, is it technically an actual place? Maybe. You know, if you read, you can read up on it and Google it, and faith comes into play here. So that's a whole other uh, can of worms I'm not going to dive into. But it does get touched on with these movies. So we get away from the religious symbolism, so to speak, short of maybe the art of black magic for the next one, and they've got these Shakara stones and uh, the thuggy cults. And right. you get into India. And a lot of these things are true, 
to a point, and then of course the movie will take from where the truth is and kind of go off into another element, maybe mix in other things from different things. Whether they really touched base in real life or not is another magic. It's, uh, it's up for debate, but boy, it does make for a good, interesting plot. So then they went back to more of an adventure and lighthearted side when they got into The Last Crusade, which was the third one in the series and was released in 1989. They bring back in the, the element of the Holy Grail. But the new twist on it was the addition of Indiana Jones's father, played by Sean Connery. That was a tour de force. I mean, what a coup to get him to do it, and he totally got it. Junior! I remember that movie, see, out of the theater, and I remember I liked it, but it was almost too comedic for me at the time. I don't remember how old I was, but I mean, it was, I liked it a lot, but I've really liked it a lot more since, and I've always liked it, don't get me wrong. But it is almost as much comedy as it is action. And a lot of that plays between the father-son dynamic of the kid trying to live up to the dad, and now he has. And seeing the different versions of that, even a young River Phoenix playing the very first, one of the first adventures of Indiana Jones, and you start to see how he got the scar that Harrison Ford has in real life. They work that in, the fear of snakes, where that came from, and how he's trying to live up to his dad's expectation. And now you see the Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford. He's the man, but he's still feels like just a little mouse when he's in the shadow of his dad. Right. And you see how that got created and you add in an element to it like that and then he comes along for the ride with the with the adventure that they go on and where it where it takes them. So that becomes the centerpiece of the story alongside yet another MacGuffin in the Holy Grail. Yeah, and it's it's truly one of those great movies. It's one of those few that I think you can watch and then watch again later in the day, and it's like you just, you're just watching it for the first time in a lot of ways. It really is. It's not a perfect movie, but boy, is it good. And I think it's, I'm going to say it's the best of the Indiana Jones series. Wow. Yes. I think it is the best. It uh, it brings everything that Raiders of the Lost Ark brought, but it also brings a little more lighthearted angle to it that Raiders did. And I think that's a nice balance. It's like salty and sweet. It's like uh it's it's peas and carrots. It's Jenny and Forrest. It's it's uh, Henry and Henry, really. <laughs> so we go from that movie into at least cinematically what was then a quiet period that lasted for about a decade and a half, almost two decades. But in the middle, there sort was something of. that came along on the television side. Yeah. So if Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was the last movie for a while in eighty nine, ninety. Two ninety three somewhere in there, it made a jump to the small screen. Now, this is where you start running into that love affair between George Lucas and Disney anyway. And this is where this started with the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. A lot of people now, this might be coming as news because it's almost like this has dropped off the earth. It used to air on the ABC network, and I'm not looking at my notes or anything, but I want to say it ran for, what, two years? Two seasons? Something like that? It was two seasons, two seasons. but then there were also made-for-television movies That's that came right. from that. And there was a couple of different actors that would play Indiana Jones. There was a younger boy. There was a, like River Phoenix age, but it was Sean Patrick Flannery who you might know better from the Boondock Saints, but I can't think of any like one big movie that everyone knows him from. But he was also one of them. And even in one episode, Harrison Ford showed up as an older Indiana Jones. And this was filmed when he was, I think is when he was filming The Fugitive and he had grown the beard for the opening parts of The Fugitive. So here's a grizzled old bearded Indiana Jones 
telling he's the kind of wraparound device telling but i remember back way back when and this story happened and that was it and then most of the story was kind of like the river phoenix era showing this this the sean patrick flannery era indiana jones and then back to harrison Ford. but it was an interesting one and it was a series that it got some love but it was never like super mega giant huge hit you know, Harrison Ford brings a lot to this, and George Lucas was involved. Spielberg may have been involved in name. I don't think he was very hands-on with this. And other than the cameo, Harrison Ford was not involved at all, other than the one time. It was okay. It was good, but you can't find it anywhere anymore. It's not on Disney Plus, where all the Indiana Jones are. You'd think it would be there, and it isn't. It's like the redheaded stepchild. So there's your mission. If you want to go do an archaeological dig, go see what you can find for the Indiana Jones Chronicles from the early mid '90s. You might find there, like anything else. Some episodes are pretty good. Some are like, eh. But the, a lot of those elements are there. It was like a visit from an old friend, but through glass. Not quite the same. It's fascinating. Then the people. If you just look it up, you see this list of all the people who Indy has these different encounters with during the course of this series. And it's a who's who of like the 1910s and 20s and even into the 30s then oh, yeah. as well. they It's a wide range of people that's there that these adventures get created for him to, to be involved with and involved with these people. It was a good show. It wasn't special. There's something in the movies that is not captured by the series, but that's not to say the series isn't without merit. It's certainly something that if you find it, you will enjoy it, but you'll also say, I really want to watch the movies because I think they're better, and I think you're right, but it's worth finding. But it was the only thing for a long time, very much like Star Wars, where George Lucas was doing other things that didn't quite pan out so well, like um, the mellow radio drama movie that he did, Manhattan Mystery, or something like that. Uh, Howard the Duck, one of the worst movies that ever came out. I would have liked if he had focused more on Star Wars or Indy because a lot of the other stuff he was getting involved in, no. I can't help but laugh anytime Howard the Duck gets mentioned. <laughs> Manhattan Murder Mystery, maybe that's what it was. I can't remember. Uh, Mary Stuart Masterson was in it, Brian Benben. It came out in the mid-'90s, and it was slapstick comedy from a, from a radio show, and they would do all those plays. And that was a movie that he was involved in. Things just he just kind of was enjoying his success and kind of diddling around while Spielberg was getting into a serious motif, moving away from uh, you know dinosaurs and getting into much more serious fare, whether it was Schindler's List or Amistad and others. But then they're going to eventually, you know, come back around and Indiana Jones needs to make a return. And it was 2008, is that one? 2008 was when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull hit theaters, which by that point, it is just about two decades after Temple of Doom had been released. And now Last this Crusade, one, yeah. Or excuse me, yeah, when, when Last years. Crusade had been released, yeah. This is one of those where everybody who got involved really wanted to make the movie. They really did. Um, I don't like, say, like, I'll give you an example, Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. The first one is absolutely fantastic. It's just a great movie. Ghostbusters 2, nobody wanted to make it. The studio wanted to make it, and they forced people into it. This was not the case with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Everybody wanted to get back into it. So this is where Dave might start making a controversial statement or two. I'm just, I'm just going to say... <laughs> So oh boy. one of the discussions Hoove and I have had off air for a potential future show might be about George Lucas, where he was the man, Star Wars and Indy. Then he kind of goes into this valley, whether it's Howard the Duck, whether it's the prequel Star Wars movies. 
and then he sells Lucasfilm to Disney, and now he's kind of on an upswing where he's actually been behind the scenes, officially, unofficially involved in some of these Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, call it a creative consultant role, and in a much more dignified way than, say, Gene Roddenberry got with Star Trek. George Lucas is very welcomed to be a part of the Star Wars, particularly John Favreau. And so let's get to this point now. This is where he has just finished the Star Wars prequel movies. Just a few years earlier, Revenge of the Sith comes out. He's saying outwardly and openly, I can't go to the store because people are telling me I've, you've ruined my childhood. This is just a few years now. The 2012, I think, is when they sold. Lucasfilm to Disney, I think it was. So this is it was just early in that decade, somewhere yeah. in there. So this is call it four or five years before the sale happens. George Lucas is getting burned out because he can't do what he wants to do. Now this is a fanboy's perspective, but I don't think I'm talking from out of the weeds. He's a very very creative force. He had a lot of yes men around him, especially when it came to Star Wars. He's George Lucas. Well, he could say what and do what he wants. Now he's got Spielberg involved, and now he's got Harrison Ford involved. And at this point, they're the trifecta. They all three have to sign off on this. But even the other two were saying things like, I don't know, but all right. So this is where you get the nuke the fridge from. This is where you get monkeys <laughs> swinging on vines along with mutt. This is where the George Lucasisms that you've seen come up with Return of the Jedi and right through the prequel trilogy, you start seeing this start rearing its head now, the gophers rearing their head with Indiana Jones. And where it just gets over the yes. top and, and beyond beyond belief to a point where when you're in the movies, like, like you talked about earlier, there's an escapism element that you enjoy about the movies and that to a certain extent, you will permit. Yeah. And with some movies, you allow it a little bit more. With elements of the movies, you allow it a little bit more. It, it might make you roll your eyes, at least initially, but you're like, you know, that was kind of entertaining. Lucas, though, has, in some of his projects, had a bad habit of taking that too far and doing too much with it. And Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is is a prime example. Jar Jar Binks, you know, something like that. You know, you get examples like that where it's like you are pushing it as far as keeping the appreciation of your audience and and any semblance of, all right, I can buy into this bit of escapism here. I want to stay here just a little bit longer, and I'm sure we'll, if we, if and when we get around to the George Lucas episode, we'll probably delve into this a little bit more. One of the other problems you saw coming up with, particularly episodes one and two of the prequel trilogy, was he was he's a very fixated director on the technical side of things, and it almost seems as if all the acting and stuff, yeah, 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 but what about the technical stuff? That's a big thing that he's pushed, and... Acting yeah. and dialogue. Yeah, big, big problems. When he got around to Revenge of the Sith, I think, I have no evidence to prove this, but I think he reached out to people around him and maybe even Spielberg. Look, I need help. I need to stick the landing here. And I would argue he did. I yes. think that is the best movie of the prequel trilogy. Whatever went into making that happen. Was better. It it got sharpened up. It was crisper. It was more mature. All of the, all of the above. And the acting was better. Yeah. That is on Lucas, because not only did he direct all of those prequel movies, but now it's not on him. Harrison Ford, even though he's just the actor, he's a little more than that when it comes to Indiana Jones. And he's got Steven Spielberg. The triad is back together. The pressure is off. But I do think he still gets fixated on things, because when it comes to the MacGuffin this time, it's still mysticism to an extent, but now it becomes, well, first of all, 
it's 20 years later. Harrison Ford is not in his 50s anymore. He's older, and he's not going to dye his hair. They need to work this in to the plot line, and they need to move the time era up. It's not the Nazis. It's not the 30s. Now it's the Cold War where the Soviets, and it's the 50s. Well, one of the big things in the 50s were a lot of, say, UFO movies and B movies, and they kind of tied that in. And so now you've got this real-life thing, these crystal skulls, that now becomes, I mean, that's they're real things, but not like they're presented in the movies. They're not, you know, vibrating. It's just hard. Who made these things and how did they make them? And clearly with the machinery available at the time, that's the real Crystal Skulls. But then he kind of moves in and brings in these 1950s UFO interdimensional, we find out, beings. And this is one of those things where he did get fixated on it. And even Spielberg was realizing, I need to make some concessions if we're going to move forward on this at all, because George wants it this way. And that's kind of what you were seeing some of the problems come from in the prequel movies. But now this triad, the two legs are shifting closer with Spielberg and, and Harrison Ford, while George Lucas is pulling the wagon the way he wants it to go. I think that was a big problem. And I, I'd have to look it up, but I think other than characters created by this might be one of the, or Red Tail, no, even after, before Red Tails, was, I think, the last movie that George Lucas officially, for real, had any real direct involvement. And I think he just threw up his hands and said, I'm done, sold the company. He'll have a coffee on set and throw out a suggestion. He might produce something in name. But I think this was it. And I think there's a reason why Indiana Jones, and we'll get a little bit more into this, moves on without, Spiel, or without, without George Lucas, to my understanding, involved at all. In this new movie, I think this was his swan song, and it's sad. So that might be something we'll delve a little more into if we yeah. do the George Lucas episode. But I don't think we can ignore that here. Yeah, it is sad, and, and there were there were a lot of a lot of big time people involved with this movie, like you described, but also behind the scenes too. And it, but it just it just became too much. It was it was excessive, and again, it was proof of the the issues creatively that Lucas was having by this point in the mid 2000s that we had seen with the prequel Star Wars series and all that was going on there and now and now it was bleeding over into this as well i mean say what you will about Shia LaBeouf and and his character being involved in you know, good actor as, messed up guy as being involved as the son of Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood and bringing her back was obviously a big part of this too which was yeah really good because good part of what Marion's character is a significant one in the Indiana Jones story because she's there at the very beginning in Raiders of the Lost Ark but also they wanted her character to be on the level of Indiana Jones from a from an independent standpoint from a strength standpoint and they found it with Karen Allen. They wanted an actress who was going to be able to fit that really well. And they got it with her. Good point. And she really delivers a strong showing in Raiders of the Lost Ark then in that way of just this fiercely independent person who still has a soft spot for Indiana Jones. And oh, by the way, even though she will certainly stick up for herself, she'll still be yelling out, Indiana Jones, from around the corner because she does still need his help on a few things, but she's... She's that kind of strong character, and it bringing her back, that was a good call too. But again, like you described, they just brought too many things, Cold War, aliens, um, and then a little bit of extra stuff in there with the with the Crystal Skulls in there. They brought too much together to where it was a whirlwind of, gosh, there's there's way too much uh, in in the realm of of the uh, of that extra sauce. 
in addition to the adventure side of this that we talked about earlier, there was too much of that going on. So I don't know if I will agree with that there was too much. There was a lot, but I don't know if it crossed the, the border. I think there's... How they presented it then was maybe where there was just too much maybe, going on. Maybe not even that. It's not that he's got a, a lost love that comes back. It's not that he finds out he's got a grown son in mud. I don't know if it's necessarily that, but one of the cardinal sins in a movie is the whole point of going to a movie theater anyway and that blank slate that's up there that just is filled with magic is that it puts you in a neutral space that it can make it anything that it wants you to be. It's not the same as watching it in the most comfortable home theater you've built. It's just a different, it's a neutral canvas. And the reason is, is it makes it easier to pull you in, really pull you in. But when stupid things that don't really blend in with the rest of the tapestry pull you out and remind you that you're watching, what is wrong with the, oh, the, oh that's right. When you find yourself having that kind of Q&A with yourself, that's a cardinal sin. And that happens various times through Indiana Jones. One of the best parts of any of those movies, minus the fourth one, is that you sit down and two hours later you just kind of come back to and realize, wow, what an adventure. You don't get that with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because you're reminded various times, this is stupid. And it shouldn't be. I mean, the whole thing, let's have him swing like a monkey. That's a good one, George. All right, we'll, we'll consider it. We'll move forward to make a good movie. And I don't mean to drag the man to the mud. I really, really don't. He had a lot of great ideas and had a lot of great things for my childhood. But I'm going to call what I see. And that's exactly what not just I see, but others see. He didn't ruin my childhood. I'm not going that route. But he did not do, he brought, he tracked manure in on the floor that it was the makeup of the house that was the kingdom of the crystal skull. You know what I mean? That's a great rug and you just wrecked it, George. What are you doing? You know, that's a good metaphor for what happened there. Um, but real quick, one thing you brought up really cool was the Marion Ravenwood character played by Kieran Allen. Real quick, let's talk about it were Bond girls or one thing, an indie girl, if you want to call them that. She was not the damsel in distress. Temple of Doom with Kate Capshaw, who, funny enough, as George Lucas and Spielberg are both going through divorces, Steven Spielberg met his future wife. They didn't get together right then, uh, but it was later. And Kate Capshaw, they've been married ever since, still married to this day. She's a great actress, and she did a good job in the role. And the funny thing is, in real life, She's much more like Marion Ravenwood, but is the damsel in distress. Oh, I got bugs. I'm ah, screaming. And, and a little over the top oh, yeah. with it, too, in, but that's in Temple the point. of Doom. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. And then the third one, you've got an Irish actress who I've never really seen in anything beyond that. She's got a small walk-on part in a James Bond movie, actually, A View to a Kill with Roger Moore. But Alison Duty, um, she's looking like she might be an equal to Indy until all of a sudden, I did mention spoilers at the front, she's working for the bad guy. She's a yeah. Nazi. Yep. So that made it even more fun. Now she's not necessarily his equal. She's his rival, and in a lot of ways, not quite the main bad guy, but in a lot of ways, kind of the main bad guy, sort of. Yeah, an element there where you see a parallel between Indiana Jones and, again, the idea that it came from of James Bond but something different. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. That's a good idea. Good point. So the problems that come in and the cast that it brought in, uh, I you know, I think Kate Blanchett and her part, it was done to be comical. The, uh, uh, Sp- what was her character? Spaska, something like that? Spasco, something. Well, she's a marvelous actress. I mean, she's won Oscars, and she knows what she's doing. And she Spalco. does Spalco. Thank you. Does a good job as the Russian fencing expert, Spalco. 
But it just, it was a little cartoony, as was a lot of other parts of the movie. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, that there's nothing good to take from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's a fun movie. But when you compare that bar to the bar that had been set by any of the others before, it falls far short. And when those moments come up, they're stark. So the whole term of, we got to mention Nuke the Fridge, because for a long time, if you don't understand the term Jump the Shark, is a term that came from a Happy Days episode. Happy Days, one of the big shows on TV from the mid-70s to the mid-80s, and it was a great show. Funny enough, kind of a spinoff of a George Lucas movie called American Graffiti. And there's an episode where they go, and the Fonzie is water skiing, and he literally jumps over a shark. And that was the moment, almost, that the ratings for Happy Days began to sink. It's an infamous moment in television yeah, history. But yeah. the term jump the shark is when something that has been really good, all of a sudden, a particular point that you can point to specifically is known as the jump the shark moment. And from that point on, the show just isn't there. That term got updated with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when the nuke the fridge incident happens. We don't need to get into the scene, but it's the same thing because it's the first. Th- it's one of the first scenes in the movie, and the rest of the movie doesn't really recover from that. Nuke the fridge, jump the shark, they're synonyms of one another, but the fact that Indiana Jones had to supply that term is... It's it's a it's a pregnant thing. Is a lot to a that. dark moment in the history of this otherwise really fun series. So everybody kind of goes their own way after that. Harrison Ford has clearly had an amazing career. Spielberg continues to do great work. Sometimes it's really serious. Sometimes it's fun, like Ready Player One, and George Lucas. For more, more, for all intents and purposes, he's done. He hangs it up. I mean, he's never going to evaporate. He's still involved. He's still involved on the technical side. But he, a couple of years later, sells Lucasfilm to Disney, and well, that's Luke, a whole other debate. Lucas had been dabbling into some concepts for a fifth film prior to that sale. There, well, it, there had been some, th- there had yeah. been some thought that he was going through of some ideas, but of course, nothing materialized. But that's nothing new because they tried to work on what would be the fourth movie for the 19 years it took to get yeah. it. I don't know how many different stories, but at least 10. The the sale was the big thing, though, in 2012 when that sale took place because, much like with Star Wars, the thought then came, okay, Indiana Jones is dangling in there as part of this, too, with Lucasfilm being sold. That's part of this property. Is there a possibility that maybe something would come of that? And... Not only was that question raised, but Harrison Ford had not at all been opposed to the idea of doing a fifth film either. He he was on board with the idea of doing another one because he felt like there was more of the story to tell. I think, again, there's no evidence I can point to to support this, but I think there's smoke and I think there's fire. I, he had said he loves the character of Indiana Jones. They had people ask him, would you ever do another one? Oh, in a heartbeat. That's what got him into it in the first place. I, he, he took the project because he thought it looked like a lot of fun. Well, for Indiana Jones. And even Harrison Ford thought the same for for Han Solo initially, I think. But I also think there came a point, even as early as Return of the Jedi, he realized Han's point was done, and he wanted Han to be killed off. I think that to get him back 
as Han Solo for The Force Awakens. They had to dangle the Indy carrot in front of him. And I do believe this happened. I can't, there's, I don't have photographs of him and Bob Iger having a meeting by the pool about, I, none of that exists. But well, they I, added in the element of him getting killed off in The Force Awakens. Well, so yeah. that, that would clear the runway then. We need the graduating class to come back and bring these freshmen through. And Harrison Ford, we need you to do this. And I don't think he wanted to do it. I tell you what, if you want to come back as Indiana Jones, because we've got the rights to it i want to see you come back as harrison ford as han solo one more time and he did it i think he did the comeback in Mm -hmm. the rise of skywalker because somebody that had to carry on something one of the parents and obviously it wasn't going to be carrie fisher for unfortunate reasons i think he came back as a favor he needed to do this and maybe one last carrot to get the indiana jones thing rolling And then that finally did resurrect the character. We start rolling forward. But before we get into that, so now there's a whole lot of speculation because the movie isn't out yet. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is what it's called. And it's going to come out this coming June. But you got to pay attention to the changes here. Harrison Ford is in the same position he's always been. He had input in the script. Spielberg is involved in this, but he's not directing it. This is the first Indiana Jones that he is not directing, but he has been described, and I would agree, as a very hands-on producer. So he's very involved. He did have something to do with the story, but this has in no way, shape, or form other than characters inspired and created by George Lucas, to my understanding, has zero involvement in this for the first time ever. And he created it. Yeah, pretty significant that that that's the point that it's reached. But Spielberg, like you said, still involved. James Mangold was announced as the director. This was back in 2020 that yep. he was announced as the director. If you're not super familiar with him, you're probably familiar with some of the work that oh, he's yeah. done in the past uh, with movies good. like Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, The Wolverine, Logan back in 2017, and uh, he uh, that one got him nominated for an Academy Award. He then produced, uh, directed, and produced Ford versus Ferrari that got a Best Picture nomination, and now he's taking on the mantle of Indiana Jones. I do think that Indiana Jones is in fine hands. I I, I hate to say this, I really do, but I'm one of those people that I kind of wear what I am on my sleeve. I think Indiana Jones is better off without George Lucas, and I feel horrible for saying it. I really, really do, because it's like your uncle gives you the best Christmas presents, and then you don't cry at his funeral. I mean, I mean, that's kind of how you look at it. I think the problems that came up with Indiana Jones post-Last Crusade, I think those are George Lucasisms 100% and other people to as much as they're just trying to go along to get along. Spielberg and Harrison Ford, to a point— They're culpable, but it wasn't their call. The big question that comes with this movie this summer, I think, does center around how you you make Indiana Jones Indiana Jones with Harrison Ford being almost eighty at an older age, like like he is now, and that's uh, you. You don't want to make it's not an ageism thing no, at all. No, it's not, not at all. It's not a knock on on him wanting to get involved in this. I love that he is enthused about the project and about doing this. But the question is, with a character who is based so much in adventure and in it's in fast pace and in physicality as well, how do you make all of that work then? In in this stage of Harrison Ford's career, which is where the concept. Of Dial of Destiny, even the title, and if you and perhaps if you see the trailer on the movie, that may all be some of an answer of how they're going to try to address that. 
especially well, related to time. So two things here uh, that I do want to touch base on. I want to do a part two to a comment that I made, I don't know, a couple of years ago and episodes ago, where I think when this oh was boy. announced. The We're Indi- really pulling back here. Well, when Indiana Jones 5 was announced and Harrison Ford is coming back and he's going to be, I mean, he literally is pushing 90. He's getting up there. He and William Shatner are very similar in age. At some point, I don't want to see um, – like an aging sports star that is limping out onto the field because they love the the game too much, but clearly their time has passed. Mm-hmm. I, it's not an ageism thing. It, it's like watching Jerry Rice at the end of his career. He is one of the best, but if you watch him in just the last year, he was one of the best. Oh, you got to see him when he was really the best. This is when he was 104. You prefer to remember when they when they yeah. were on top and to see them go out on top. Yeah. Now, that's not to say there's anything about ageism. Look at the latter career of Sean Connery, including Last Crusade. He nailed it. So he could clearly still bring it. Harrison Ford as an actor could still do it. I still think he brought it, whether you like the movies or not, of the sequel trilogy. His version of Han Solo was awesome. Yes. Uh, he could certainly still bring it. I didn't want to see Harrison Ford trying to be super, super physical and basically rip himself apart trying to do something that he just can't really do anymore. And he's always been injured every single movie of, that he's ever done with Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom in particular. His stunt doubles and a lot of the shots that you're not aware of because he really messed up his back. That's a whole other story. So I want to see Harrison Ford slash Indiana Jones older but I want to see the character I know and love. And some of that means something, things have to happen, and he's going to have to run and jump and punch. and all. If he can still do it, awesome. So, second part. Now, I want to see him. This is not about ageism. I want to see a guy in his 80s kick this thing in the butt. And I think he can because he's Harrison Ford. So, second thing, though. When it comes to movies, I like to go in, especially when I really want to see it, I want to go in mostly ignorant. I don't want to know the spoilers. I don't want to know, well, I think that there's going to be a scene where... You're not big on trailers. I mean, we did a tra- uh, we did a trailer episode where we talked about some of our favorite ones and how cool and cinematic they can be, too, but... You also are like, I'll watch it once and that's it. I'm I, not going to comb through it. Or And sometimes you've also been like, I'm fully avoiding it. I love movie trailers, as a matter of fact. But movie trailers have changed. little sidebar here. Movie trailers have changed a lot over the years. It used to be there was a teaser, then there was the main trailer, and that was it. Now, well, we need new footage to put in there. And too much stuff is going in that gives away other things. Right. I don't care if it's a scene in the trailer that won't be in the final movie. Some people really get butthurt about that, and I don't care. The point of the trailer is to make you want to see the movie Better yet, without giving away the movie. So, if they're like, I'll give you a good example for this. Uh, die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard with Bruce Willis, when he does the Yippie Kaye scene in the movie, in the movie, he shoots himself in the shoulder because right behind him is the bad guy. And that's when he says the line. When they filmed it special just for the trailer, it's just him looking John McClane like holding a gun, Yippie Kaye. And it was only meant to be for the trailer. Bothers me not at all. Had they shown the actual scene from the movie in the trailer, it's going to give it away. There's a problem. There's a problem. So I have no problems watching the first teaser. I want to see it once and maybe twice, and that's it. I have not seen any of the newer ones because it just shows too much. I have no idea if secrets are going to be given away yet. There's probably going to be another trailer that will come out between now and then. I have no plans on seeing it until probably shortly after I see the movie. Then I will see those trailers. But there's one thing that has come out that's pretty obvious. There are going to be 
maybe similar to the last crusade maybe it's a little more of the dial of destiny maybe that's a time thing i don't know we're going to find out i want to be ignorant but clearly there are two timelines involved in this movie now maybe it's similar to the episode of the young indiana jones chronicle where you've got old harrison ford indiana jones remembering back not much not unlike the river phoenix river phoenix sequence from the beginning of the last crusade that has a little connective tissue to what's coming later but it's one adventure kind of like the preamble of a Bond movie that leads into the actual story. So maybe it's something where Bond, where, where Indiana Jones was on a previous adventure with a relic that's going to tie in. And I am aware of a certain couple of elements, um, former Nazis that the U.S. got out of Nazi Germany to work on the space program as scientists. Right. I do know that factors in. I don't want to know more than that, but that's kind of well-known, actually. A lot of NASA scientists came from the Nazi program, like it or hate it. It's the reality. All right, so good. We're on the same page as far as how much we know and don't yeah, know going so into I, the movie. I know good. a little bit. And you get that this is going to be Mads Mikkelsen's character. Is he really a good guy? Is he a Nazi still in the 1960s is when this is mostly going to be set. But you've got the two scenes of Harrison Ford as young Harrison Ford and now current-day Harrison Ford. Another quick sidebar here. The, it's not. I don't think you can call it de-ageism anymore. It's not de-aging the photography and having Harrison Ford do the role and then make him digitally look younger. They're actually using deep fake photography. Have you heard about this? Really? Yes. And it it's in the it's in the trailer. I mean, we're talking yeah, real quick I've, shots. I've seen the trailer. Yep. But when you see, there's the one shot. I, I can't speak intelligently. So that's how it came together. It's then actually Harrison Ford shot from whenever, roughly era, from 1980-something, they use those photos as deep fake photography rather than having him do the scene and then de-aging him um, and doing it that way. So when Harrison Ford would do the scene, they'd have dots on his face like you do for CGI, and then they would use the deep fake photography. And from what I've seen... It looks better than any other examples of which I can think of. They made somebody look younger for a, a earlier scene. That is crazy. Yeah, and it looks really, really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious now to see how. Like, is it just going to be for one scene? Is it more prevalent? I that get, raises some questions, but, but at the same time, it, uh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Now, again, I'm ignorant about this intentionally, so, but my impression is. And maybe this is going to be scattered throughout the movie. Maybe it's two timelines going on simultaneously, and in the end, they kind of tag together. Or maybe it's like the preamble, the pre-adventure of a James Bond movie where you get Bond on one adventure that does or doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. It just kind of gets you lined up. So maybe it's like the River Phoenix sequence, except rather than a younger actor, it's younger pictures, deep-faked of Harrison Ford, that look very convincing from what I've seen. And then the rest of the movie, uh, we're going to find out. I don't know. But this is my impression. So I think all of this brings us to a, a really good question, I think, to conclude our discussion on Indiana Jones. Because we've set the stage for this summer. We've we've gone through the history of it all to this point. So, Dave, that brings me, I think, to the most obvious question. Is there a future for Indiana Jones beyond Harrison Ford playing the character? Because... There is a precedent for it, like yeah. you talked about with the young Indiana Jones Chronicles and the TV show. And and many people wondered, hey, is, is Shia LaBeouf going to pick up the bullwhip and not carry now. it on? The, n- not now. Um, <laughs> so the question then becomes, is there a future for this character and for this concept and for this series beyond Harrison Ford being in that main role? That's a tough question. I think it's... 
I, I don't think there's, the decision has been made at all. I know there's probably a lot of hope, but I will say this. Uh, I think this is going to be the last go-round for Harrison Ford. Um, I think for every athlete that knows when it's time to let go, I think he gets it. I think he'd love to do it, but I think he knows it's time. Um, he knows more than Ric Flair does when you're talking a wrestling similarity. But he, I think this is it for him. If he does come back, it would be a wraparound, and he would just appear in the beginning. And I don't think he wants to do that, and I don't think the audience wants to see that. I think if he's going to come back again, he needs to come back, and I don't think that's going to happen. So does that mean it's going to move on, kind of like James Bond? When Sean Connery was James Bond, nobody thought anybody else could do it. Well, now 50, 60 years later now, you've got a new James Bond coming. We'll find out soon who that'll be. People think, think that could be done. But so much of what Harrison Ford is as an actor is definitely embroiled into the character of what makes Harrison Ford work as Indiana Jones, that nobody else could do that short of doing some sort of an impression. We have a precedent for this now, and it comes from Star Wars, yeah. and it comes from Solo, and what Alden Ehrenreich did stepping in there um, and, and playing that role, and how difficult that is, and, and what a, and a huge search had to be undertaken to, to try to see if you could in some way, shape, or form be able to replicate what had been done with Harrison Ford in that role. It might, to a certain extent, be more difficult with Indiana Jones, Dave, because that character was played in the 80s in three movies. That character was then played in another movie in the 2000s. That character is now being played in another movie here in the 2020s. If you go back and try to recast that role in and go back in time once again with him to find new adventures for him, that's going to be really hard to do if you change the title in some way or, or have it be a different person taking on the Indiana Jones moniker. That's going to be really hard to sell as well. There there are pathways where you could go in a different route with it and be able to keep this carried on, but each one brings with it a big obstacle. Doesn't it feel that way? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think Indiana Jones works as well the more modern you get. Now, obviously, we're going to see Indy in the 1960s. I haven't seen it yet because the movie's not out yet. We'll see. I I reserve judgment. Can it be done? It can. But I think it needs to be held in, quote-unquote, a simpler time. The 1930s, where a lot of them have been set, is definitely a simpler time. Complicated things, but a simpler time. If you're going to you know, bring Indiana Jones set back in time for this audience, maybe that's the 70s and the 80s. I don't think that's necessarily going to flow, but that's not me. So... Can it be done? I think Indiana Jones, in a lot of ways, is the product of his time. I think they should all be, like Brendan Fraser did it with The Mummy. I mean, that was set in the 20s, I think it was, um, the Mummy movies that he did. That worked, and I think it works. And I think that's a part of the character as much as it is the franchise, as much as it is of everything else. Who would do it? I think we have to tie back quickly here to the Shia LaBeouf thing, because you could see clearly, and the last scene in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is almost an homage to that question. You get the marriage in the church, the wind blows the doors open, and Indy's hat blows off the coat hook and rolls up to the feet of Shia LaBeouf, his son Mutt, who picks up the hat as if almost to say, well, now it's my turn, and Harrison Ford snatches the hat back and puts it on, not yet, son, you know, but maybe it's coming. But then... Behind the scenes, Shia LaBeouf, I think he's a good actor. I really do. 
but I think he is a messed up guy, and I think he's just too much personal stuff going on. Yeah, and he yeah. bit the hand that fed him, and I don't think Harrison Ford wants to have anything to do with him anymore. Let alone Spielberg. Let a lot of other people. I think his career is rapidly coming to an end because he's just out there and bizarre. And let's have a fight, basically. And so he bit himself. He burned himself down. Mutt, the character, will not be returning. But Phoebe Bridger is going to be in this as his goddaughter, I'm thinking, is what I'm picking up on. Not daughter-daughter, but goddaughter. So they're not related. But she's kind of an adventurer, too. So in some ways, I get the impression she's going to pick up some of the heavy lifting, physically maybe, that Harrison Ford as an actor can't do. That's another impression I'm getting. So is it possible that daughter of Indiana Jones or goddaughter of Indiana Jones, could that be a spinoff? I I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. You and I look at this from such a creative angle all the time on topics like this and for speculation on it. Let's look at it from a straight-up practical side of dollars and cents, Dave. Because just... I, it's important to do that because I think Disney is going to be watching how this movie performs oh, yeah. very, very closely. If they like what they see, they will find some way of carrying it on. There's already talk that there is a desire to do a TV show for Disney+. Oh, Plus. I, I don't doubt it. There's, uh, that's how what I've been Star reading. How many Star Wars versions are there now? Like five, right. six, seven? They, they would probably say, all right, Let's see how this plays out and then go, or maybe they're planning some kind of announcement in conjunction with this of, we're going to go within the world of Indiana Jones and go some kind of route here. Although it's so hard because this is around one character. Star Wars is based around a universe. This is based around one character. It's much like with the James Bond films and desire to do spinoff stuff out of the James Bond world, is that you're doing so out of a world that is based around one character. There's going to be challenges with that. Same thing here with Indiana Jones, but I think Disney is going to be looking at the numbers very closely with this movie and going, if there's an audience, we're going to find a way to create a story here. You know, I think there's so many sequels that are out there that the sequel has nothing to do with the original, but it was money. I've, I've t- this is going to be nowhere with Indiana Jones, so just bear with me. I'll make a connection here in a second. Jingle All the Way, that movie was filmed in my neighborhood. There is a Jingle All the Way too. You know what it has to do with the original? Absolutely nothing. But it was a paycheck for Larry the Cable Guy. Well, why would you call it Jingle All the Way 2? What, what does it have to do with Jingle All the Way 1? Is An Indiana- attempt to capitalize on what was done with the original. But did it work? No. That's why it was one of those pre-streaming direct-to-video disasters that somebody got paid off. I don't know if they laundered drug money while they make these movies just oh. so that they can film the movies to get the product moved. I don't know. But it just there's no reason I could think of to make it. It was just outright trash and crap. Well, that's not words that I think need to be associated with the Indiana Jones. Where Star Wars is about the universe, and we have seen some very interesting corners of the Star Wars universe explored, but we're also starting to see, not just with superheroes, but even with Star Wars, there's a bit of a pushback. Everyone wanted to see Ewan McGregor back as Obi-Wan. It was a good show, but it wasn't great. Mandalorian seems to be carrying the torch, but the newest season is going right now. I haven't watched it yet. I'm getting there. But I'm hearing that it's good, but not great. Maybe it's a little bit of a lull. Maybe better things are coming. I don't know. Haven't seen it. Can't comment. But that's kind of what I'm picking up on. Andor, good show, but I just haven't seen it yet. 
I don't want to see something similar happen with Indiana Jones. Could you have just the theme of archaeology? Sure. Well, then why don't? You, what's wrong with National Treasure? That was Indiana Jones-esque, but in a very different way. I think what Indiana Jones really is, is he's a zipper with two sides of the garment, the bad guys and whatever the thing is, and he's trying to get them apart from one another and maybe zip things together to save it in a good way. Kind of like what Nicolas Cage was trying to do in the National Treasure movies. That's what Indiana Jones is. In a lot of ways. He's the reluctant hero. He's his own MacGuffin in a way. Can you just replace that MacGuffin? I don't know because Indiana Jones needs that MacGuffin and minor MacGuffins to keep the big MacGuffin going. Could Phoebe Bridger do her own series? Maybe. But could The Sun do it? Could they just recast it? I heard Christopher Pratt for a while as a possibility for a new Indiana Jones. Could you just reboot it? I think that's I think that's poking the bear with a stick. Honestly, is what I think. As honest, I don't mean Christopher Pratt. I mean rebooting it. Thank you, Harrison. You've done a great job. You may go now. We're going to bring somebody else. I don't know. I think could they bring in Alden to play another Harrison Ford character? I think he would do a good job with the role, but it didn't work for Solo when it well, came to box then, office. And then the poor guy is getting attached into basically becoming the new Harrison Ford and fill, yeah. fulfilling all those roles. And that's not fair on no, Alden. Yeah, right? I, I agree. By the way. Christopher Pratt. Wow, very formal. He should have that spelled out on on the screen sometime in the future. Well, Harrison. But, you know, um, Kathleen Kennedy did say last year, apparently, that the role would not be recast. That's what she had said last year. But again, I think that's smart. Things things can change, though, in the future. I mean, Bob Iger said back in 2016 that he didn't think that, the, that this role would be the final one, that this film would be the final one in the series. They... They, uh, I think, are going to be evaluating, and that's where we're left with kind of an incomplete answer and finish to the, the story here, much like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. We have an incomplete finish to the story because I think there there are a lot of things being evaluated and discussed and considered, and a lot of it will hinge on what happens with this upcoming movie and how it performs. I think you're absolutely right. But I also think it goes back to a good Spielberg quote with Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. You had all the, I'm paraphrasing, but from Jurassic Park, you had all the technology, you could do something, but never ever did anyone stop to think whether you should do it. Oh, you and I are in agreement on that. But I, it's important that we take the practical into this as well, because from a creative standpoint, Dave, you and I, you and I are always pretty tightly aligned with each other on how we view these things. I mean, we have different creative ideas sometimes, but we both feel protect the product here, protect the story, like respect the story a little bit with how you're doing this. Um, these studios, unfortunately, don't always see it the same way. In fact, more often than not, they don't. I really don't want to see Indiana Jones or whatever version of Indy they might want to go with go the same route as the T-101 Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Post-T-2, I'll put it this way. Terminator 2 is one of the best, not just sequels, but movies ever. And then it took forever and a month before they came around with T-3. The one big question I had going into that one is how much am I going to wish walking out of the theater that they didn't make a third one? And I actually liked that movie. It was a good movie. But there's something magical about the first two that just is not possible or present or captured in any of the sequels. Whether it's the Genesis bomb or the last one that even Cameron was minorly involved in. I'm trying to remember what the, was that Dark Future? Dark Fate? I think. It wasn't bad, but it just wasn't good. And box office-wise, it wasn't good. Well, each one of these, no, we've got it this time. Even bringing James Cameron back to a point for the first time since T2 didn't work to the point where I think Terminator movies are done. 
I don't want to get 10 years from now, 15 years from now, and saying, yeah, the indie movies are done. Harrison Ford may or may not still be breathing at that point, but they might still be making Indiana Jones at properties. I don't want to get to the, yeah, Indy's dead. He's totally done. It's over. They dragged it through the mud. Why not just learn to let something go gracefully and maybe come up with something that it makes it feel much like they were going to do a Bond movie, but they, I got something better. Maybe want to do an Indiana Jones something, but I've got something better. Maybe inspired certain elements of it, but it's not a James Bond movie. This is a different thing. This is not an Indiana Jones future, but you it's know, something similar. You know, that's a great way, Dave, to bring it full circle with this episode because remember what I said at the very beginning of this episode today I said what was great about Indiana Jones from the very get go at the very beginning was the fact that this was an original creation a new concept something different and it was adventurous it took elements of films and storytelling and entertainment that had come before it and put them together into something new and creative and original wouldn't it be nice if you can put a capper on on this series in that kind of way and then go, let's find the new one. Let's find the next one. Let's go on to the next one and put our creative heads together to get to that point. I'll make this one caveat, and I think that'll be a good way to springboard away. When my grandchildren, whom I do not have any right now, I've got a very young son who himself is way too young to have children, but when my grandchildren don't want to watch those old movies with Indiana Jones that's set even back in an older time, and they start rebooting some of these things, if they ever remake modern era The Maltese Falcon, if you know 100 years, 70 years from now, they want to make a redo of Indiana Jones for the, when the, the hollow projection theaters or whatever the technology will be of the future, we're going to bring back an old character from yesteryear and watch him rambunctiously run through the 1980s or something. Maybe, possibly, a whole different take on something that's inspired by Indiana Jones. Maybe it is Indiana Jones, but not quite Indiana Jones. Maybe, maybe. But um, within my lifetime, guys, learn that every book needs to say the end. Just much like this episode. Perfectly Wasn't said. Wasn't that poetic? Oh, that was perfect. Yes. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, which is on Highway 2 just down from the airport. They're opening up those new theaters, uh, those new theater rooms, the, the revamped, restored, revitalized theater rooms Go inside the Bemidji Theater. Oh, yeah. Enjoy it. Remember, you might have to call ahead to get your reservations for some of the new releases because there's much less capacity. Seating. Yes, much less capacity. So select seating. Get those reservations in advance if you're going to be going to see some of these new releases. But, yeah, good way to set the stage for the Dial of Destiny scheduled for a June 30th release this summer to continue the Indiana Jones series, and then we'll see what happens from there. I'm sure once it's out and we've seen it, we might have a brief something to say about it. But until then, I'm hopeful. Yeah, I hope it comes through well. We'll see. So they've had enough time to work on it here the last few years. I'm so. more optimistic about this one than I was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I was really excited to see him on screen again for that, but I got a feeling that this is in better hands this time come around. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.